Hello, and welcome back to the Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. It's been a minute, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a grip, been about a month, so uh, so welcome back, everyone. Um, I guess technically we did just release the uh, the Boys' Night episode a little early this week, so we've been back for a few days, but, uh, but yeah, we're, we're officially recording again you know thanks for for sticking with us for for all of that that's right you're uh you're all you're a gracious audience you know but uh this week we're back in the saddle and we're talking about one hell of an episode it's season four episode nine uh simply titled hero yes extremely normal episode uh super super easy going no no horrible emotions don't worry about it this episode is just about raz making a pie that's all it's about that's all it's about this is about the the finer points of uh pie making you see yeah so why don't we just uh waste no time and jump right in so we start off with raz you know cleaning up quote-unquote when she's, uh, she, she's looking for a broom, she finds it, then proceeds to make her little hut considerably more filthy than it was several minutes ago. Yeah, so she's, she's trying to clean up, you know, she's trying to make the place nicer, but, uh, you know, it, it doesn't go super well. That's fine, though. I mean, listen, that's just how cleaning rooms go sometimes. You know how it is. You, you start cleaning, you find stuff, you have to clean more of that, and then you make a bigger mess than when you started. Yeah, you, you, you start, you clean one area, you move all that stuff onto the floor. Now you got stuff all over the floor, and you just and you stop. And you're like, oh, my room's dirtier now. Eh, we've all been there. And uh, someone enters her hut, and then she thinks it's Adora, but she turns around and it is not, in fact. It is Mara. It is Mara. We've got we've got sort of a, a weird kind of plot structure going on with this one uh, because, uh, as it turns out, we've we've got a character who's entirely unstuck in time. She experiences the uh, the past, present, and future basically uh, completely simultaneously, which means the B plot of the episode uh, actually is like just scenes from mara's life yeah so raz has always been kind of odd and and seemingly jumbly minded but turns out there's a very good reason for that and it's because for some reason she just can't stay in the same time stream for very long or maybe it is this particular day because as she says to adora later it is a very important day because she's making a pie it is a very important day i have a feeling that her experience is usually not this uh yo yo back and forth as it is like on this important day but i imagine i imagine most of the time she is experiencing some weird time shenanigans yeah so we go from mara um you know just hanging out with raz and telling her well like i can't stay for very long i gotta get back to work um to adora in the present barging in and then asking raz for help she's trying to figure out about this weapon that mara was talking about in that botched or that damaged recording in her ship yeah it turns out that things are still not going especially great with the rebellion um glimmer is even more unreceptive than she already was uh the they're losing the war left and right it's all just a big pile of nonsense um and you know true to kind of how adora's thought process was at the end of boys night 
her plan is to be the best weapon that she can be. And to her mind, the answer to that is to find uh, the big scary thing that Mara was talking about and use it against the Horde. And maybe that'll make Glimmer like her again. We'll, we'll find out. So Raz says, what are you talking about? We need to find sugar for the pie we're making. It's an important day. We're making pie with Swiftwind. And Adora says, well, wait, hang on a minute. Swiftwind isn't even here. At which point Swiftwind is here. Yes, and Swiftwind is the most responsible of all of us. You know, he's like, listen, Adora, there's like an old lady who lives in the woods. You gotta check up on her every now and again. Have a heart. Yeah, I guess this is sometimes where he's been off screen, just hanging out with Raz. I would like to see those uh, in short form, honestly. That seems like a pretty fun idea for uh, for shorts. Right? Like, Swiftwind's little adventures. Because we, we know he does exactly two things hang out with Raz, and uh, free the horse Letariat. And both of those are some pretty good uh, premises for, for minisodes. So Raz hustles off into the woods to find some sugar. For the pie, of course. You know, you, you gotta, that's a, it's a very important ingredient. Uh, though, though to, to be clear, to be clear, uh, she has already made the pie dough. The Pido is inside of a Horde helmet right now. That is correct. She has already sort of had made the Pido. She's let it rise, you know, all that kind of stuff. Don't really know where the sugar's going. Uh, I guess into the filling. Uh, normally, I don't know if pie crust has that much sugar, but I don't, I don't, I'm not a baker. I don't know anything about that stuff. But uh, yeah, they're going out into the woods to find some sugar, at which point uh, she shifts through time yet again and finds herself uh, at the end of Mara's sword, because this is the first time, and she, she even says, oh, wow, this is, a, this is the first time? It's been a while since uh, it was the first time we met. Yeah, and that line also, like, really reinforces, like, the time, the timiness of the whole thing, like, how, how just, just the, the cadence of her voice, like, oh, is this the first time? It's been so long since it was the first time. She says that with such, like, with like a sense of like sadness and but like also like like she's very happy about it but also very sad i don't know like listen neither of us are are enormous fans of, of miss delisle but you know sometimes her voice delivery is actually pretty good i think she does a very good job in this episode yeah um which is good because if there's any episode where she should have put in the work it is this one. Oh, for sure for sure but uh yeah raz just invites herself on tomorrow's ship and starts rummaging through her stuff yeah you know just just normal burglary moments and you know mara's of course like uh this is a classified area you can't be here this is like hello stop and you know raz doesn't care she's just a magical old lady and she's wandering around throwing stuff everywhere she's complaining about how dirty uh the ship is you know typical typical grandma behaviors um, but then she shows that she's got a little bit of magic. She kind of levitates uh, a little box, and this really gets Mara's attention. Yeah, and I should mention that uh, Mara's ship is currently parked next to probably the most evil statue of She-Ra I've ever seen. Oh yeah, this is a this is a sinister statue. It's made of obsidian and like gold. Like this is a statue you'd see in like the underworld. Oh yeah, no, this is like. This this is a and also the facial expression is like a very like I don't know like like angry Shira like like vengeful god Shira a little bit yes like clearly the the first one's interpretation of Shira as a, as a weapon of might 
as a force for them to use. Kind of a Halone situation. A little bit of a Halone situation. So, yeah, well, upon seeing that she can do magic, you know, Light, Light Hope has, has appeared at this point as like, uh, I'm gonna have to report this, Mara. There's a weird old lady stealing all of your stuff. Yeah, but, you know, Mara Mara's, like, pretty endeared by Raz, um, pretty much immediately. Partially because of the magic thing, and partially because, you know, she's just, like, a weird old lady, you know, you, everyone likes a weird old lady. And she, she kind of goes to Light Hope, and she's like, hey, listen, just, you know, just for me, just kind of let this one slide, maybe? And Light Hope does, actually, which is exceedingly out of character for her yeah she is not one to bend on rules uh and so so this is very much a like oh this is this is a very different light hope here in this scene yeah this is a light hope that also like acts a lot more like the light hope uh we got who wasn't quite finished rebooting from a few episodes ago She's generally a lot more pleasant. She's not, like, quite as entirely focused on on the task or whatever. Um, and she also smiles at Mara a lot. Yeah, and Mara convinces her to, to let Raz slide with a, with a very cute face. Uh, just normal gal pal moments, you know how it is. Sometimes you're just girlfriends with your ship's AI, it's fine. Listen, this is this is normal, it's normal, don't worry about it. So, yeah, so Mara's like, well listen, we came here to study Etheria's magic, why don't we ask, you know, the people who live here about it? Yeah, which is making a lot of sense. Yes, and, and Mara, or uh, Raz, finds her sugar... Or she, she tries to go reach for the sugar, but at that point she gets knocked back to the present, where she finds that same box of sugar. I'm not sure if it's good anymore. It looks really, really quite dusty. It's like, it's like tarnished sugar. It is like, the box is gray. There's no color on that box anymore. It's, I probably wouldn't use that sugar, uh, Miss Raz. I, I think that's probably going to make somebody sick, but uh, that's... If you ate that in a fallout game you would get so many rads so many rads but uh but yeah so so in the present day they uh the place they actually find the sugar by the way is at the foot of that statue and um that statue's seen better days it turns out it seems as though mara destroyed it they find slash marks matching the sort of protection all over it the statue's face has been carved up uh, it's been decapitated yeah it has been decapitated this is a very clear like symbolic gesture uh, of mara's taking out this this huge imposing statue of shira yes it's like it's an extremely extremely deliberate move uh on her part and you know swift one's like i guess she really did go crazy you know like this no nobody would do this this is horrible and then like sort of in the in the crook of the neck of the decapitated statue is both the sugar and behind it a data crystal first one's data crystal as we have seen a few times in the past one of them is currently powering Hordak's exosuit. And yeah, so Adora is still on by the mind of like, 
you know, all of the, all of this pie stuff. Yeah, it, but it's important. Like she's leading us somewhere. It's it's all important. We got to keep following her. We got to help her make this pie. Exactly. And she's she's starting to get exasperated. She's starting to try and figure out what this is. She's like, listen, this this day crystal was very deliberately left there. You led me directly to this. Something is going on here. And you know, Raz is being as obtuse as ever. But eventually. Adora asks the correct question. She asks, why is today the day we have to make a pie? And that's because today is important. And why is it important? Well, today is the day that apparently Raz has to duck. Because there's a big dirt boar um, bearing down on her. And we're back in the past. I love this piggy. This is a great piggy. It's a great piggy. I love the the animal designs in this are so strong. And speaking of designs, we get to see Mara's Shira transformation, and it kind of yeah. So Mara transforms into Shira. She has a huge red cape, not like the kind of half cape Adora has. You know, she is very much Shira, but her her armor is far more glamorous and glittery and and spiky, even. Um, She's wearing full pants as well. Yeah, but she's got those boots and she fights this boar, but kind of kind of gets her ass beat a little bit here. A little bit, a little bit, but uh it turns out that Raz is kind of in tune with the magical creatures of the world and she tries to show Mara that, you know, really you don't need to you don't really need to be all that afraid of these guys. So, you know, they, they do the thing, the classic thing. You touch the snout of the once rampaging creature and make a connection. And this is kind of where, where Raz starts to tell Mara about what the real magic of Etheria is. Like, no, Shira isn't some kind of, like, first one's creation. Shira is much older than you, and the magic of Etheria can't be, like, harnessed or, or controlled. Exactly, exactly. Like, she... She kind of leads leads her through this sort of magical awakening bit, and she shows her that you know she has so much power in her because you know the the planet chooses Shira. The first ones don't choose a Shira. They, they of course the first ones are going to tell you that you know as as far as Mara is concerned, uh, Shira is a construction of the first ones. She was elected more or less to be the first ones. Or, or at least chosen by her, like, superior officer or whatever. It's not really super clear how that process worked. But, uh, no, no, it turns out that Shira is, like, a construct of Etheria. And the sword of protection, uh, that runestone uh, in it, even, uh, these these are things that the first ones created to, to harness Shira. But Shira is not just a creature of the sword. Right, and this is where we start to see that Mara does truly love Etheria. She says she loves how weird and old and beautiful it is. But she is torn because of the Heart of Etheria project and what the First Ones are doing to the planet. They are doing something. Um, We don't know what it is yet, really, uh, at this point. But, like, she's kind of having second thoughts about this whole situation. Yeah, she's she's torn between a sense of duty to her people and a sense of protection for the planet she cares about. And and this is, of course, uh, a really strong parallel with Adora, who, you know, Adora is 
or at least was, a horde soldier. You know, she had a strong sense of duty to her nation, but she cared more about the people and the places uh, on Etheria than she cared for the duty she felt uh, to the country she was a part of. And Mara's kind of facing the same exact uh, predicament with the first ones about a thousand years ago. These you know these these two situations are about as parallel uh, as as they get uh, especially considering in the episode the the timelines are also parallel yes and this is where we we snap back to the present and raz is starting to kind of get emotional and remember more things about mara uh, like the fact that she has been dead for a thousand years yeah when you're when you're presumably a couple millennia old like raz is like at minimum she's a thousand years old right but like she's probably older than that considering she looks exactly the same in mara's time presumably maybe that's just her own perception of herself that's like that's up for debate but like um like she's at least a thousand years old and after a certain point you're probably gonna stop remembering stuff too good and especially stuff that's really you know traumatic like you know someone you really care about dying horribly so yeah like she she says sort of to herself that the first ones had a plan for mara and that she was never really supposed to succeed like she was never any anything else other than the trigger to their weapon yes it's 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 not it's not great and what that means, what being the trigger to that weapon means, ends up getting revealed to us uh, pretty shortly here. Because as, as Raz uh, and Adora head back to the house with, with a sense of urgency, they have to make this pie. It's, so, it's really important that this pie is finished on time. And Adora starts asking more questions. You know, what, what were you talking about the Heart of Etheria? Why, why did this happen? What... What was Mara so afraid of? Light Hope said she snapped, but what what was she scared of? Was it the sword? What could it have been? And this kind of sends Raz into into a bit of a flashback here, and we start seeing what the heart of Etheria actually looks like. So yeah, we after as she is she's trying to remember. She says like she says this line that I really have about the the past, the future, and the present all blurring together and crossing each other, making it so difficult to remember. And she says, during this, she says, Adora, Mara, it all ends the same, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, Because uh, as she says that, Mara appears not looking great. No, she's, she's, she's bandaged up. She's really scuffed up. This is like, she's in a real bad state of things. She's barely standing at this point, And there's a lot of real scary noises happening outside. It's dark. Uh, the sword is doing really weird things. And she, she just says like the, the heart of Etheria is going off. And, you know, Raz is like, well, what about the pie? You promised we make the pie today. Uh, and Mara says, Mara says, we'll make it tomorrow. Uh, before running out we'll make it tomorrow before running out and crying and she's she says that she can't she can't stop what's happening but she can stop them from hurting anyone else and that's her plan and so she runs off in the woods and she's trying her best to to stay standing but the whole world seems to be breaking down around her these these jets of rainbow magic are flying off into other directions and then she gets the sword plants itself in the dirt and starts sucking uh, all of this energy through her as a conduit. And she she breaks away, but the sword keeps 
eating uh, this energy, and things are getting real, real, real scary, but the pie's done. There's a really great cut during that scene where we see uh, Raz staring at the sword, just sort of glowing. There's there's like a, a black hole, like some kind of singularity forming at the gemstone. So you got this brightly glowing sword with this like horrible pitch dark circle in the middle of it. And then they just smash cut to uh, the, the egg timer reflected in her glasses. And he just says, it's time. That's a great cut. It's an amazing cut. This episode has some like genuinely really good visuals in it. Um, so she ta- she it is time. She grabs the pie and she runs away. And Adora and Swift one follow. And they, get, they make their way to the ship uh, where Bo is and gets uh, jump scared uh, by an old lady. And he smashes his forehead into the console. Yeah, this episode is very light on comic relief, but that bit is very funny. Uh, it's it's really good. Also, he has no idea who Madame Raz is. Yeah, no one else has ever met Madame Raz other than Adora and Swiftwind. So they're like, who is, th- who is this? What's happening? Um, well, what's happening is that Adora has everything she needs because she has that data core and she plugs it into the ship. And this is where things start popping off. Yeah, this is this is where shit gets extremely real because we get to see uh, Mara's final message, and hey. uh, this scene's really this this scene's got a lot in it. So so first and foremost, first and foremost, yeah. Mara is flying around and she is intentionally doing everything she can to disable Light Hope. She is. She's destroying her systems across the planet, and she's doing everything in her power to make it so that sending this planet into Despondos is not going to be challenged. And the the thing is, this Light Hope is different. She is not nice. She has no real emotional cadence to her voice. Her eyes are glowing. And Mara, Mara doesn't like this. She, she kind of loses it a little bit because this isn't light hope it's a light hope but it's not her light hope because uh she's been erased more or less they reprogrammed light hope uh they being the first ones reprogrammed light hope to to value the detonation of the heart of etheria above everything else wiping away everything that once was light hope and this is the light hope we see in the present this is this is light hope as she is now yeah and it's and like and mara of course is like completely devastated like she's not only is mara in the process of of presumably dying um and also the whole world is is basically ending around her but her girlfriend who has functionally been lobotomized is talking to her about like her destiny and what she needs to do and how uh she needs to you know she's going to be a hero like 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 the go the ghost of a person she loved is is actively hurting her like throughout this entire process it's 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 a friggin rough one for this girl and Light Hope is it looks very scary throughout this whole scene. Like the the glowing eyes, the complete lack of any facial expressions. The this is the reveal, I think, where it's like, oh, Light Hope is the villain of season four. Oh, extremely. Like it's not it's not Catcher, it's not Hordak, it's Light Hope. She's the villain of season yeah, four. Yeah, she's she's the sleeper villain of the season, and uh and we'll be seeing plenty more about that uh as we move forward here. And by move forward I mean like the next two episodes. But uh, for now, 
Mora has some stuff to say to Adora, and it sort of it sort of cuts back. You know, Mara's like, okay, well, well, Raz, Raz told me that you would be listening. So, you know, I, I failed. If you're listening to this at all, it means I failed. You're the next Shira. You have to pick up uh, the pieces I left behind. I, I disabled the weapon as best I could. I sent the place into Despondos, but it still exists. It's still working. It's still siphoning power. And if for any reason it were to ever fire again. The planet is completely doomed, and you cannot ever let it happen. You have to keep the planet in Despondos. You have to make sure that it never goes off ever, because everything you care about will end. Yeah, this scene is really interesting. It is a, it is functionally the only time Adora and Mara ever talk, but they're still not really talking. This is a conversation happening a thousand years apart with a dead woman, um, with base what is functionally her like ghosts but not really there's no consciousness this is a recorded message and like it's rough the weight of what mara had to do it's it's a rough one she like she dies in the phone call like she the last word that she says is literally the last word she ever said like the ship crashes and she dies and adora is just kind of left there grappling with the implications of that because what she did find what she wanted she found a weapon that she could use to defeat the horde the problem is that defeating the horde also means losing everything she loves and like mara wasn't some kind of crazy person who snapped and ruined everything she fought to the death to protect everyone yeah so everything Light Hope has been telling her about Mara, everything she thought about Mara has been a complete and utter lie. Like, just slander. And uh, it kind of... I would give her, Gives her pause is not a proper description for what happens. No, Adora is completely devastated. Like, the facial acting in this scene is actually really strong to me, and... Like, it, like it's really, really emotionally strong. Uh, with with Adora's uh, character in particular, I think like like Mara's is is really is really strong, and Adora's is really strong, and it's like I don't know, it gets me like it really gets me like I'm like choking up a little bit talking about it, frankly. Yeah, me too. Because it's like it's it's like it's 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 rough. Like she is looking into a situation that is like. It's it's a looking glass into a future she could have had if she didn't know. And it's also like a realization at just how sinister all of this is. Everything that she's been told about what being Shira means, about what destiny is, and what that means for her has all basically been a complete lie. And on top of all of that, she has nothing to deliver now. She now has another burden on top of everything else, too. Because, like, not only is the Horde still a a massive problem, and she isn't going to get a magical MacGuffin out of it, but she also now has the burden that she needs to make sure that this thing never wakes up again. Yeah. And, I mean, the the part that really almost got me was the very ending of this episode. We were were talking earlier, way earlier, at the end of Season 1, or at the end of Season 3, rather, um, with, with Angela's death that there needed to be a more like a, mo- a moment to more linger on mourning uh, this is the episode where that happens because the ending is just they put the pie on the, the captain's chair 
and that's it. That's where it ends. Yeah, it's it's a really good scene. It's like it's just it's a very quiet, um, mournful moment. She, you know, Raz is like, we finally made that pie, and she puts it in the chair, and it just ends, and it ends on complete silence. And it's 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 a really somber but like respectful way to 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 do that i think and i don't know like i i I feel like you can hear in my voice like i like i am having an emo i i am emotionally resonating with mara's death in a way that you just don't with uh with angela's and i think a really really big part of that is like is the way these kind of moments were handled like this this episode there is a mourning space there is a quiet void with which it fills up with with these kind of emotions it's there is a there is a space for it to exist in a way that there just isn't in uh in portal part two i'm very glad that this that boys night was the previous episode because this episode is very weighty like it's extremely heavy and that's basically how the rest of this season is going to go like not nothing quite as heavy as this but things are going to start happening and keep happening and like there's not a lot of moments for for comedy in between those no yeah like the only the only comedic relief we got in in this episode even i think was well okay there's like a couple of bits uh like when they rush back to the house to make the pie, Adora like cracks her voice and is like, "What?" Uh, and that that was pretty funny. And then like the bow bonking his head scene. But other than that, yeah, there's like really not a lot of comedy on, on the bat on the very very uh, tail end of this season. And I mean, like we said, season four is a Greek tragedy. It is literally the lowest point for basically everyone in the whole show and uh next week we get to talk about the episode called fractures that's a great name that that bodes very well for everyone involved oh yes yes fractures is up next and i'm sure that one's also going to be super normal no problems don't worry about it but uh we have a a few questions this week uh naturally yeah our curious cat has a couple of questions from a few uh weeks ago over a hiatus a lot of these are double trouble related so we'll get to that next week when they actually show up yes next week uh look forward to that it is in fact a double trouble episode so uh that has one of (laughs) the next episode has maybe my favorite line from them i believe about about how they how they uh cry in their roles i believe that is next episode oh yes oh yes this is this is this is that episode yeah no fractures is pretty good fractures is pretty good i think everybody's gonna enjoy that but uh but we'll get to those but uh we got a lot of questions about pies we have so many questions about pies so let's 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 get through the pie questions first so so uh so first off anonymous is like uh what flavor is the pie? It looked like a purple pie to me. Well, we see her gathering the berries. So it's some kind of, I guess you would call it like, quite literally, a wild berry pie. Like, what are those berries called? I got no idea. But they, she put them in the pie. They look pretty good, though. I'm not going to lie. Like, wild berry? It's just good flavor. Yeah. So, I mean, it probably tastes a little bit raspberry, I would say, because it is not quite as dark blue as a blueberry is so probably it's it's pretty tart 
uh, if I had to guess, you know, kind of kind of a classic fruit pie. Maybe like blackberry, maybe like boysenberry, yeah, some kind of berry. That's right. Uh, then another pie question: What's with the American obsession with sweet pies? This is true. So, like, um, in America, when you say pie, you usually are talking about uh, sugary dessert food. Yeah, like we have, like we got plenty of different kinds of pies. Like you got the open top style pies, you like your key limes or whatever. And then you have like your like weird graham cracker crust pies, and you have like your classic like apple pies and whatever with like the full like dome crust on top, like it, like in this episode, but. But yeah, pretty much every pie in the States is like a sweet pie. I can't really think off the top of my head of any like American specific like savory or like meal pies. Like It's basically just the chicken pot pie, right? Like that's oh, the yeah. only savory pie that I can think of that is, is, is distinctly kind of American. But yes... Oh, like in other countries, a lot there are lots of savory pies, lots of meat pies, that kind of thing. Yeah. That really like you know because you know like shepherd's pie and all that kind of stuff. We don't have any analogs to that here. No, I mean we do eat shepherd's pie though. I've made that a few yes. times. Pretty good. But it is not like a popular like pie. It is not like a, a, a statewide or a countrywide phenomenon like say apple pie is. Yeah, I bet there's like some really interesting like food history as to why that is like. I'm no I'm no food historian, but yeah, I've, I've watched a few YouTube videos in my day, and it's it seems like there would probably be like a cool story behind why that is. So much of modern American food history can be tied back to like 1950s era marketing. Yeah, that's like a that's like a big thing, honestly. Like it's, uh, it's all the advertising and stuff like that, and then also like that sort of early modern period with like. Like when the British like colonial cooking kind of like mixed with other colonial cookings and made a bunch of other weird stuff. Yeah, like that's like my understanding of like the two big phases of American like culinaryism. Yeah, so I'm sure there's a co- very cool podcast about the history of uh, sweet pies in America, but we're a podcast about Shira, so we can't really tackle that one. Yes, um, and also here in the, in the Curious Cat. I think I might just answer this one and then put it on the on the main page, but uh, patron of the show Jack O'Neuro did post a recipe for key lime pie. Oh yeah, it is, it is literally you. an entire recipe for for key lime pie ingredients, topping, the filling, uh, like explanation of how to make it. So we'll we'll like we'll pop this in the uh, like in the Twitter or something. Like this is this is this is cool. Thank you. I I will totally make this at some point. I am pretty I'm pretty into key lime pie. I love a good key lime pie. Key lime's great. Pretty good stuff. It's like a nice summery pie. Yes. But uh to the the end of like uh, actual Shira related questions, um the one we're gonna answer from Curious Cat is uh from anonymous uh which says why do only first ones become she-ra isn't the sword ethereum made why is she-ra the key to stopping or starting to weapon and is her runestone supposed to be more powerful than the other princesses so these are all questions that i can give factual answers to which i love that's this is easy i don't have to think first of all the sword is not ethereum made this is very clear the sword of protection is first ones made that is a basically conduit to control Shira. Then the Aetherians did not make that sword. Yes, the Aetherians extremely didn't make that sword. Now, is 
Now, as far as the runestone itself is concerned, I am pretty sure that is not uh, a first one's construction. Uh, I've, I've sort of been rolling around in my head for a while whether or not it is. Um, I don't think it is, and that's explicitly based on information kind of from outside the show, because we, we recently, well, semi-recently, did the... Uh, we read the Legend of the Flame Princess book in uh, in a bonus episode on the Patreon. So uh, I guess spoilers for that. If you're not um, like if you're if you're still planning on reading, so I guess skip ahead like you need like two minutes. But um, the first ones made uh, or attempted to make an artificial runestone, which was the Firestone, and it went really poorly. So I can't imagine that the like actual like runestone of protection is like a constructed thing yeah it seems like the runestones are natural or like ethereum made and that the first one simply adopted them into the the structure of the heart of etheria if i had to make a guess yeah um why is shira the key to stopping or starting the weapon well i think that would be because of shira's connection to the planet in this episode it's pretty clear that shira is some kind of like guardian of etheria like a, a deep magical connection with the planet itself so if you want to make a bomb out of the core of the planet well i guess you would need the like the, the one who could control that to, to be someone very much tied to it. Yeah, she's kind of the, like, um, I guess if, like, you wanted to think about, like, the planet as a grenade, she's like the, like, the pin. Like, you pull the, you pull the pin, and then that's, that's how that goes. As for her runestone being more powerful, I guess it is, because it is tied to Shira, and we also see it absorbing the, the magic in this episode, so that's something. Um, we don't quite know the mechanics of that as of this episode but you know yeah there's there's more to be learned about about the mechanics of she-ra as we move forward but uh i i think generally a good rule of thumb is that the she-ra like the the runestone of protection is probably like a bit stronger than a lot of the other ones are or at the very least it's like it's resonant with the other runestones you know it's like why we get the the like shield bubbles around the other runestones and why the other princesses kind of get like buffed when they're they're around her yep so is there anything else we wanted to hit before we transition over to the spoiler zone uh did we have we didn't have any emails right we could talk about that email here i think uh which one which one oh yeah the yeah, so so we got an email from Elsie uh, Collins, uh, and that reads, I love the podcast. It made me understand Shira in a different way. When I listen, I leave reality. I feel, I feel you. I, I, I feel that when I'm watching this show. Uh, season four is deep, and we learn a lot about Mara. Uh, do you think Mara and her squadron were fighting the Horde or the first ones? Thanks for making my life better, Elsie. Well, thank you. We're, we're really happy that we can, you know, add a little bit of a little bit of spice to everybody's life um as as far as what do we think mara and her squadron were fighting um that's a good question neither like they were not they were they were fighting against the first ones but they were not aligned with the horde um who didn't have a planetary presence back then but as we know the galactic horde does exist and were the kind of like main um antagonistic force towards the first one's empire yeah but mara 
was fighting for Etheria, uh, firstly, but also just to stop this horrible weapon from being used at all on, like, the wider universe. Yeah, which is a good thing because, I mean, they did the, the first ones did kind of build a Death Star here. Or presumably, anyway. Yeah, like, they were going to use it to destroy planets. So yeah, we can presume it's some kind of Death Star. Maybe even more of a Starkiller base, wider ranged. You know, you can just snipe that planet from halfway across the galaxy. You don't need to necessarily get into its orbit. Yeah, seems seems pretty strong, frankly. So so yeah, I, I feel like the answer is like both neither is is like neither and also both a little bit. Yeah, like she certainly didn't want you know the horde probably controls a lot of territory. None of those planets are chock full of nothing but horde soldiers. Yeah, that's sort of the issue, isn't it? So you can definitely blow those up if you wanted to. You shouldn't. Yeah, first ones first ones seem to really like war crimes is is where I is what I'm getting as a message. Yeah, as 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 we get further and further in the show, the first ones really do are are more and more sinister and villainous. Like no one who builds a thing like this are good. Like no faction who builds a Death Star is good. Yeah, like we, we we've talked about the road to hell being paved with good intentions, and I mean this is like I mean you don't get you don't get like a better a better picture of it than like we've as a society convinced ourselves that building a Death Star is just. Yep. Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, that'll end it for the pre-spoiler zone. There's gonna be a lot more Mara talk in the spoiler zone about not necessarily her because this is kind of the end of her arc but her impact stretches far beyond that uh this episode but before we do of course we got to do plugs you know where to find us by now it's at podcast of power on twitter we got links to our curious cat where you can send in questions pie recipes all that sort of thing email is also pot of power at gmail.com we're coming up on the end of season four. We're getting ready for that big, fat email roundup at the end of this season. Whew, it's coming. Whew. Yeah, we got it's. It's going to be a doozy, it's that one. It's coming. I can hear it on the horizon. Yes, it is. We've also got a Patreon. That is patreon.com slash pod of power where you can find all sorts of fun bonus content. Uh, this week, we're going to have another episode of our Kipo cast where we watch Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts, a very fine cartoon, a lot of fun there. Oh, yes. I'm actually really excited to get back to that one. Kipo has been honestly a blast so far. I think it's been great. Like, seriously, if you haven't checked that show out, please do. Like, like you, you would you would really get a lot out of it. Yeah, if you're looking for something to fill that Shira void and you haven't tried Kipo yet, definitely look at kipo yeah it's like it's not quite the same thing like the vibes are a little different but it's a super super cool show but um yeah we got that uh this sunday also uh last week's uh or last month's sorry watchtower is going to be going up uh once again sorry about the delays you know just life kind of happens a little bit sometimes but uh but yes that's going to be going up um other things to to expect on the horizon we've got the the owl cast coming up later on the month uh another watchtower of course uh much much more punctual one 
that one's going to be Glitradora themed. Of course, the Watchtower being that uh, that that Shira fan content sort of theater slash you know showcase AMVs, fan art, fanfics. I got to start looking for the fanfic for that for next month. Oh yes, uh, I'll do some scouring too. I haven't like I haven't been on Ao3 in a in a hot second, but uh, but you can find you can find some some interesting stuff on there every now and again. Uh, I do have a very important announcement. We are at $69 a month. Nice. Nice. Very nice. Uh, we, we are. And $69 a month, that puts us really close towards our last stretch goal for now, which is, of course, to do the, the, the She-Ra Firebrands hack for the honor, which is uh, sort of a tabletop She-Ra game, GM-less thing uh, that we'll do like a, like a you know, one-session run-through with the two of us, which I am, again, super stoked about. I, I'm going to super get into that. Yeah, maybe we can find some guests to be on. I feel like the the Firebrands is always something that, that uh, three or four is probably usually a good number. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, we'll we'll try and we'll try and see if we can if we can swing that. Who's interested? Maybe we can get uh, the 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 people from the fine people over at Strangers Fiction on uh, for that. Oh yeah, which I guess is on an episode uh, a few months back. Uh, go in that find that on at Strangers Fiction Pod. Uh, it's uh, an episode called Reunion in the Wilds. And if you want to hear more of me, I'm on Disney Minus, a podcast that watches stuff on Disney+. Plus. Last episode we did was on the, the 1968 uh, film The Love Bug, the first Herbie movie. Uh, that was my choice. I wanted to pick something that was very important to my childhood uh, as my first, uh, my first episode there. And we also have also done episodes on Treasure Planet, pretty good, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Not as good. Artemis Fowl. Bad. Dreadful. Horrible. Simply awful. Like throw it in. Throw it away. Throw it in the trash. Hideous film. Um, but yeah, you can find that over at Disney Minus Pod on Twitter. Uh, next next episode, I believe, is going to be on Bambi. Oh, exciting! Never seen Bambi, so that's going to be interesting. Oh, that movie's actually that movie's actually pretty interesting. It's got some cool tech in it, actually. Yeah. They they introduced the the multiplane camera with that one. That is going to be very, very cool because I never experienced Bambi as, as a young as a young one. So it'll be interesting to view it through more objective, uh, more knowledgeable eyes. Yes, uh, but for now, that's that's going to do it for for this side. Oh, oh. we got to read our patrons, our lovely, lovely patrons who stuck with us. Who not only stuck with us, a lot of people joined up. Yeah, we actually, it, it, like, very shockingly to me, like, actually got more people subscribed. So, like, honestly, thank you very much. I'm, like, pretty blown away by that. Right. Um, and we all we have a, a Horde Cadet tier, by the way. So I guess special shout-out to Crystal Germ um, for the $1. Uh, thank you very much. And our $3 Force Captain patrons, of course. So let me let me let me get a get a breath here. <clears throat> Emma Lynn, Ashley, Erskine, Autumn Keys, Analia, Cody, Haley Moreland, Yusuf Gurch, Ashley, Kyra Williams, Mabel Mabel, Ryan Kuhn, Jennifer Jones, Jess Pumphrey, Leon Lay, Sean Montgomery, Jack O'Neuro, thank you for the pie recipe. Olivia, Andres Lozano, Brittany Ray, Michael Steiner, Tara Stark, TCO. Brennan Fitzgerald, Tobu, Emma Grossman, and Robert Harris. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you all so much. Again, like as usual, your support means the world to us. It's honestly really awesome. And uh, again, like 
we're 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 happy to we're happy to be here and we're happy that all of you guys are are really enjoying this uh so much that you even stuck through a month hiatus for it your troopers all of you so thank you for uh for sticking around we hope to bring you lots of cool stuff in the future but for now we gotta head on over to the spoiler zone so if you're uh if you do not partake We'll see you next week. Uh, if you would like to hear all the juicy bits, we'll see you on the other side. start with this one uh that's a great question i feel like um we should uh, you know what let's let's start with the with like the the small thing let's start with the question that we got actually right so yeah we got a uh one more um curious cat here right yes anonymous curious cat user says who slash what are the friends of mara that part of the show always confused me for a bit so this is both going to be kind of in show lore and also some real history. Yeah, like this is this is like a two this is a two part thing here. This is like some some in universe and out of universe content, which is really cool. So in universe, friends of Mara was just like a code phrase that Mara's rebellion used to communicate with each other. Like it was a, it's clearly some kind of password or override key that they use in season five. But, like, I don't think that's what they were called, but that is definitely a, like, thing, a, a phrase that they used in, in, like, clandestine operations. Yeah, like, like Friends of Mara was probably not, like, a, I, I am a friend of Mara of the organization Friends of Mara, and more like a, you know, where the wild rose blooms situation. Yeah, like it. It is a it is a passphrase. Like we we see we hear of of Rebel Squadron Grayskull. So assumedly, the organization was filled with more names like that. Almost certainly, yeah. So so that's that's the in lore explanation. But there is a little bit of broader history to that phrase. That is a phrase that that has a lot of inspiration from some real world history. So you you probably know a little bit more about it than I do. So why don't you give give the give the uh, give the history lesson? So okay, um, so the friends the friends of Mara um, is like a direct reference to uh, a really classic phrase um, in in the the LGBT community called uh, "friend of Dorothy." Now, friends of Dorothy is like a it's it's like specifically a phrase that's supposed to kind of indicate that you are gay or like specifically a lot of times it was used to um indicate that you're a gay man but also it's been used um for trans women as well and uh and trans people in general in fact and that's like due to in part the content of like the wizard of oz which, of course, in the, in the 1939 film, uh, Judy Garland is, in fact, uh, a gay icon. And she is, like... And in the film, there's a lot of various things that sort of reference the the idea of, like, 
some of the characters being themselves LGBT and how there's like certain aspects of the film that can be interpreted as being like uh, about uh, coming out and, and various things like that. So it was pretty common back in, in those days to say you're a friend of Dorothy when it wasn't like exactly socially acceptable to actually out yourself. Yeah, like it's a very cool piece of LGBT history that that kind of makes it into this show. And like it's always valuable to look back on the past for stuff like that because it goes way, 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 way farther than many people would have you believe. Yeah, and it's also just cool because it's like a very, very deliberate and like direct nod to the audience that like, yes, this is a show about gay people. You cannot say that it's not. We literally save yeah. everything short of it in the show. Yeah, you like, know, like it's... It can't be denied at this point. Like it, literally no one could deny it. Yeah, no, it's 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 pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I, I, I love that touch. I think it's it's really nice. I think it fits really well in with the show and like what it's like what it intends to, to do and, and pull off. But yeah, so that's that's how that is. Alright. We got three things here. Yeah, we got we got three things here and the first is, uh, and Nero mentioned this earlier, but Raz, Raz talks a little bit about her unstuckness in time. So there is the line, the past, the future, the present, it all blends together, Adora Mara, it all ends the same. I think Raz has seen the future. I don't know if it is the same future that we get in season five, or if she has seen alternate futures like all like glimpses into alternate timelines but there are a few lines in here that give me pauses like wait a minute because when she gets onto the ship she's calling mara adora and she's saying how messy it's gotten which we know that adora now has the ship at the end of the series and and they are planning on using it yeah exactly like there's there's like some interesting stuff here because clearly she is i don't know it's 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 weird because it's hard to tell if the same time that she is warping into mara's time you know is she is she exclusively in mara's time is she is she also warping to like adora's future you know it's it's hard to say and it's also hard to say like what future she's seeing because the line Adora Mara it ends all the same like that's that's got some heavy implications to it like has she seen a future in which the the heart of Etheria fires a second time or Adora dies stopping it yeah where Catra wasn't there where none of that happened yeah it's 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 hard to say it's hard to say or maybe she just means it in the sense that like you know she sees the uh like the heart of Etheria going off, but not necessarily the conclusion of that. It's, I don't know. Cause it's, it's like, I don't think that Raz is specifically like omniscient or something. Like no. she doesn't see things that she can't physically see. She just can appear in times where she isn't supposed to be. So like she wasn't physically present during the hearts part one and two so she wouldn't have seen that but what she would have seen is the actual planet firing again yes so that might be like what she means like there's a lot we don't know about raz and her whole situation 
I think maybe she is unstuck in time because she was so close to the Heart of Etheria firing. Uh, maybe it even has something to do with the portal. Who knows? It's all very strange. But uh, Yeah, it's hard to say. So that that is kind of something that really stuck stuck out because Adora does kind of go down Mara's same path almost. The the parallels become stronger and stronger until it seems almost inevitable. Yes, that's that's the thing. And like the parallels and boy, we'll we'll get to this <sighs> we'll get to those parallels in a in a in a second here cuz like oh my god. Yeah um but but like the, the line about it all ending the same it is something I, I never really noticed until now it's like wait a minute what does she know what has she seen but uh speaking of the heart of etheria right we should talk about what it actually is because we never see it in this season we see the effects of it but we never actually lay eyes on it until the final episode yes so the heart of etheria is some kind of magitech superstructure around the core of the planet. And Etheria, the internal structure of Etheria, it seems to be, it, it is hollow. This is hollow Etheria theory. Either that, it's either hollow, or the first ones engineered the interior to such an extent that they completely reshaped the planet. Yeah, my... The way that it looks like to me, because... Because here's the thing, like Etheria is still like the crust is still intact, so it's hard it's hard to say. Like it's possible the entire planet's like mantle and interior has been like deconstructed and like converted into raw materials, and then like the entire inside of the planet has been turned into like machinery. But I don't necessarily think that's a hundred percent true. Because as, as like strong and powerful as the first ones are, that takes a lot of doing to to pull off. I think that definitely like. There is a lot of geoengineering that went on. I think that there's a very, very complicated network of like like servers and like conduits and tunnels and like complicated stuff all going to like the core of the planet or whatever. But I, I think it's probably like still mostly a planet. Yeah. Um, the in the the what it, I guess what it was supposed to do was use the sword as a focusing beam to shoot pure magic at a plant at another planet and destroy it that was the intended function of it well the first intended function of it was that it's supposed to be like kind of a dyson sphere situation where you have limitless limitless clean energy yeah that's or at least that was like the pr like that that was like the the cover of it right kind of like the kind of like a new vegas like poseidon energy like helios one situation like oh it's just it's just the solar power plant of the future you know nudge nudge don't worry about the thing that says archimedes 2 on it so that is either the the pr line or the initial the initial idea for it but at some point someone in the, like the first one's head council whatever said hey we could use this all this magic stuff to like uh destroy the horde and they turned it into like a, a basically a focusing crystal for this thing except mara stopped it from firing but didn't destroy the actual infrastructure which means that the heart of Etheria has been basically collecting energy for 1,000 years straight with no interruptions. Yeah, it seems to me like the way that it appears, like, so so Mara didn't destroy the sword. Like, like, uh, like Adora destroys the sword, which is what stops the weapon from being capable of firing. 
So, so that's, that's like, that actually stops the firing process, but it appears what happened the first time, because the sword wasn't destroyed, sending the planet into Despondos probably, like, messed with its targeting apparatus. It could not find a firing solution, so it doesn't go off. There's some kind of, like, either with Light Hope or some other portion of, like, the planet's, like, infrastructure just doesn't let it fire, um, and it goes into some sort of standby charging state. And because of that, for a thousand years, you know, like you just said, it's it's overcharged. It's ready to go. It is like bursting at the seams with siphoned energy over the course of a thousand years. And there's a point at which uh, Shadow Weaver is talking to Castispella um, in season five, where she's talking about how the planet's magic is so weak compared to where it should be. And that's like a direct result of like all of these creatures and plants and and souls all being just sucked for a millennia. All of that power just slowly being absorbed into the dirt around them and then funneled into the into the core of the planet. So so yeah, the the heart of Etheria right now is completely unstable it's not capable of operating the way it's supposed to even if shira was completely compliant it just wouldn't work and that's and that's like one of the core things here that ends up being a really big problem is like aside from the fact that using it is monstrous it also just physically isn't a functional object anymore yeah, like it becomes clear as the as the series goes on like oh, if you use this, it's just going to explode and destroy like everything. Yeah. Like at the end Horde Prime is basically like, well, I'm just going to glass the entire galaxy. This this thing has so much energy in it that it's just going to go ultra nova and ro- and like wipe everything away. Yeah, which is like that's like that's the situation is it's like going to take out half the galaxy and of course by the end of the heart part 2, Horde Prime has basically like decided he's lost everything and he's and he's unwilling to to accept that. So he'd rather take everyone else out with him uh than than anything else. So Yep. But that's how the heart of Etheria works. I think I think it it is a very cool uh thing to put at the at the center of the climax of this series. I like how it looks. I think when we finally see it it looks really cool. All those concentric cubes. Great. Yeah, it's got like a real like uh we we said this the last time that we watched the heart part 1 and 2, which was at this point a grip ago actually, like a few months, but um but like uh it, it looks a lot like if you've ever played control i guess control spoilers but uh but polaris like the way that that polaris actually looks it looks a lot like that should be more cryptic uh upside down pyramids in Shira. there really should be just in general really i love i need to replay control and get to those dlcs soon oh uh, me too we're here to talk about control as great of a game as it is we're here to talk about Mara, and it's finally time ah. to really get into what her deal is, what she means for the rest of the season. Yes. Because this is basically it. This is the end of her arc. Yeah, this is this is the last we really see of her. Like, technically, there's the bit in the heart part one where we see Mara again in sort of the deep crevices of the planet. But the thing about that instance of Mara is that 
that is a projection by the first one sort of memory scanning like hollow deck technology and it's like adora's it's like a combination of adora's personal perceptions of what she thinks mara would be saying to her and also like some amount of first one's meddling in there i'm sure it's it's like it's mostly her own brain talking to her though which is like you know which is important and we'll get to how important that is later when we get to the heart episodes which you know obviously we can't get into right now that is sealed away locking it up we're not talking about that scene or what or the things mara says in that scene which are very important can't do it can't do it um no but we are going to talk about the real mara and this this is the last we we really hear from her and the thing the thing about mara is that she's one of my favorite characters in the whole show because she is like everything adora fears becoming in every meaning of the word like like she she's a character who has been done so dirty by literally everybody for a thousand years so a thousand plus years really if you count like the the last couple of years of her life and it's just like it's it's rough i mean i mean to, to, to quote my boy ardberg she did everything right yep so mara was someone who died of an actual hero um, who saved not only Etheria, but the, the wider universe, who gave everything in, in service of the greater good. And she has been slandered and, and uh, like, thrown into the dirt. She has been branded a villain, a, like a berserker maniac who ruined everything. Yeah, even within this episode, she is. Like, you know, Swiftwind is like, oh, she she's completely insane how how could you how could you destroy such a such a beautiful statue like this how could you be so out of control to do this and it's like you know the reality of the situation is she was betrayed by her nation her nation used her as a tool and was going to use her to cause irreparable and incalculable harm to a nigh infinite number of people and there's nothing that she could do about it um, other than to to give her life to stop it and that's gonna make you pretty pissed off you're gonna do a bunch of erratic stuff and you know if there's some statue of of what their interpretation of what you are supposed to be is like yeah you're gonna decapitate it. you're gonna take that down a peg because that legacy is disgusting that legacy is horrible it's 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 monstrous and obscene and and you can't stand to look at it and frankly i don't blame her because like you know when light hope is talking to her in the final message as well like the way that she says the line you will be a hero like that's the thing that sets Mara off, I think, largely because not not just because of the fact that you know Light Hope has been twisted into this shell of who she used to be, but also the fact that like the the word hero in and of itself has been just twisted and warped in such an evil and 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 unthinkable way. Like, what is what does it mean to be a hero when? your society has deemed that being a hero 
means unleashing weapons of mass destruction on civilians? What does it mean to be a hero when your society has deemed that that means that you are a tool to be used and discarded, that your life is worthless except in service of harming other people who happen to get in the way of their goals? You know, what does being a hero mean in a life like that? And Mara decides that it doesn't, that it means nothing. It's worthless to her. It's worth less than nothing. She doesn't want any part of it. She and, and presumably her her squadron, Grayskull, turned on the rest of the first ones and, and fought the first rebellion, which we don't see. This isn't the story of the first rebellion. Like, there's so many empty spaces and holes in, in their story because it's all been wiped away by the, the sands of time and by Light Hope's meddling. Like, she wiped her memory banks, we saw like uh in the uh, a few episodes ago in that bottle episode uh whatever remained of mara's true history she deleted um so they could never be told again yeah it's that that amount of her is gone and it is and it's sad and and something and something i want to actually talk about with with relating to to sort of Mara and, and, and Adora here is this really specific parallel. There's a lot of parallels between the two of them, obviously. And um, and like I said before, Mara is in a lot of ways everything that Adora fears most about becoming. Like first she fears becoming out of control. She she fears become she fears becoming out of control and she also fears failure. She fears failing while she still believes that she was the bad guy and then she fears failing once she finds out what the truth of the matter really is she she fears having to sacrifice herself but she fears knowing that it's what's going to have to be done it's all of these fears is uh, central central to how they interact and interface with each other but there's one parallel in specific that i think really makes this 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 really important thing and it's that mara and adora both ultimately decide to sacrifice themselves in the end and okay i'm I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm cracking the lid just a little bit here we're, we're, we're <sighs> like we're we're just slightly ajar it's, we're towing on some dangerous territory but i really do want to talk about this because the the thing about this is they both have resolved to end it they have both resolved that their lives are forfeit that the only thing that is left for them to do is to save as many people as they can in whatever way they can you know obviously mara she she sends the planet into despondos she crashes the ship she destroys as much of light hope's infrastructure as she possibly can while you know both the planet and light hope are like trying to take her down you know, and Adora, on the other hand, is desperately trying to get the fail safe to to shut off the heart. And the difference between the two of them here is the one thing that can pull them back, that can that can pull them out of that that death spiral, the 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 literal nosedive that kills them. You know, like Mara gets a literal literal one. Um, the thing that could pull them out of it is someone who truly cares and loves them. And Light Hope is gone. 
she's been taken away. She doesn't exist anymore. Anything that was left of her is 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 a faded husk of who she really was. Mara lost the person who loves her, but Adora still has Katra. And ultimately that's why she she's able to get pulled out of the free fall that she's in. Does Mara say in this episode that there's no future for her? I'm pretty sure she does, actually. I'm like almost absolutely certain that she does. Like, I guess if you want to double check, but like, I'm pretty sure she says, if not that exactly, definitely something to that effect. Because that's the thing, right? Is that Adora wants to have a future with What wishes so ardently that she won't even admit it to herself. It takes the deepest magics of etheria to put that in front of her own stupid face yeah but like they both they both want that future but neither of them believe that they can have it and mara unfortunately mara really can't ever have it you know the the person she loved is gone and she's never coming back but for adora that future is still possible and she ends up reaching out for it in the end And that's, like, for all the parallels, for all the ways in which they could have ultimately ended up exactly the same, you know, doing everything right and still, and still it coming to this, she she gets pulled out at the very last moment. And it's a really strong, it's a really, really, really strong thing. It's it's honestly one of my favorites, um, one of my favorite parallels in the whole show. I think it's, it's... It's incredibly strongly written. I think I think Mara's Mara is an amazing character and the way that she relates to the presence and how and how all of this all of this works out, I, I, I think is I think is really, really strong. I, I especially love like a lot of the scenes that we get of Mara directly are such a, a stark juxtaposition to what she's painted as. You know, the the first time we really see her, like really see her, is that tall, imposing uh, Shira hologram um, when the ship first gets booted up. But that the juxtaposition between that and the real Mara, who comes in the second hologram, the the secret one, it's really it's really strong. It's a it's very powerful to me. And for a character who has roughly ten minutes of of screen time altogether uh she is one of the most impactful and important characters in the show absolutely absolutely she she has so much weight on the actual storyline itself and i just i love the fact that you get such a good you get such a good picture of what kind of person she really is based on like such small snippets like you wish there was more but what we did get is still really strong and you get you get this impression of someone who really honestly was a selfless person somebody who devoted themselves entirely to the greater good and did everything in her power to make sure it happened to the best of her abilities and and the betrayal she felt at understanding that all of her efforts up until the very last moments of her life really the very last weeks or months or or a couple of years that it was all it was all the opposite that she was really being harmful you know like 
I don't know. It's it's very compelling. Like it's it's a very compelling narrative. You know, she's she's a good character, and I think that I think the show does a pretty good job with her. She's the epitome of the tragic hero, the uh, the someone who is doomed to fail, um, but is is truly heroic uh, right until the end. Yeah, in the end, Light Hope ends up being right. She she will be a hero. She was a hero. But in the true sense of the word, not in the twisted sense that that she had in mind when she said it. Mara is uh, not really a, not really a ghost that hangs over the series, but a, a just something that is always there in the background, even past this episode, when we will get to the rest of the season, where Adora really has to grapple with the realities of Mara's story and what it means to be Shira and what it means to be her. And what she's actually trying to fight for. Exactly. But uh, but we will get to that as the story unfolds. That's right. Next week we'll be talking about episode 10, Fractures, where lots of people make very poor decisions. Yes, a lot of poor decisions, but, uh, but still a pretty good time. Pretty good watch. That's right. Uh, but until then, I've been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you on the other side of Podcast Spondos.